Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello. Ooh. <laughs> Boy, me and my sister, first, first sounds out of our mouths every morning are like, Ugh. sorry about that. It's uh, March 17th, so I guess that means I wish some of you guys a happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, For me, it's just another holiday I pay no attention to. (laughs) I'm I'm not big on dates and holidays, and I come from a family that's like that as well. So I guess I come by it uh, naturally. I don't recall making a big to-do about many holidays, except uh, Jewish religious uh, ones, and not even all of those. Um, Fourth of July, maybe a sparkler or two. Uh, What else is there? Um, Memorial Day. Yeah, I think that Memorial Day we, we noted. But, I mean, they've all been commercialized to the point of, uh, to me, just is so off-putting. I don't want to. And, and then there's people who have paraphernalia, which they stick around their house. And I'm sorry if you're one of them. I just don't get it. Anyway, I, just because I don't get it doesn't mean anything. So happy St. Patrick's Day. And so please. Uh, what else we got? We got a lot. Not all of it is uh, good. In fact, I'd say uh, not much of it. I'm sorry, my phone keeps. The problem with me using my cell is that, you know, I'm getting texts. I'm getting, so I keep hearing beeps in my ear. And I, I wonder if it's a caller because that's how Amy's now letting me know I've got a caller. And I'm constantly <laughs> It's Wigan, and I'm going to kill her. It's her and another friend of mine arguing about how much uh, uh, domesticated dogs are are wolves. <laughs> Again, not interested. Uh, let me just get this in because it follows up on a subject, I think, from maybe even Monday from Ellen. Uh, my son played cello in third or fourth grade. Wow, that was always my favorite instrument at his elementary school, right? His music teacher encouraged all of the students to attend the high school winter concert so that they could see what they might aspire to when they hit that age. Man, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of my high school orchestra and it was nothing you would bring any impressionable child to, to, to uh, suggest to them what they might aspire to. It was like screech and and it was just awful. But we were that kind of a high school. I mean, that's just the way it was. Anyway, back to Ellen's uh, son attending his high school winter concert when he was young. And she writes, while he and I were sitting there and the orchestra was playing, he leaned over to me and whispered, mom, Bugs Bunny music. (laughs) 
So who knows what they were playing? Because Bugs played a lot of music in those cartoons. And I was just saying, um, if you missed that show, that so much of many people's knowledge of classical music uh, is what they've uh, gotten from cartoons, which used it uh, opera and and classical music constantly as soundtracks for their um, for the cartoons. So, <clears throat> just saying <laughs> that is true. But we do get information from strange uh, sources. I, I I don't even know if I said this I, I, on Monday when I was talking about this, but there were many times that I was stunned at some piece of information that would fall out of my, you know, seven, eight-year-old son's mouth. Um, well, they're probably talking about the Boer War or something like that. And I'd say, what the heck? How do you know? And, you know, the answer is, I did tell this because it sounded familiar. Uh, the Simpsons. And I worried that, you know, getting history in that way was maybe not getting the best kind of history. Uh, however, the same could be said for my uh, elementary school education, because the history I got there was like, give me a break. I had to unlearn it the minute I went off to college. Okay. Uh, stories that are uppermost in uh, the news today. And I do want to, uh, I want to, we don't know. Um, what prompted other than evil um, this horrific shooting at apparently what three different massage parlors in uh, Atlanta leaving eight people dead uh, six of whom were Asian women and which of course then begs the question of is this is this part of this frightening increase we are seeing in in violence toward Asian Americans? Um, it's a story that has, you know, just crept up on, uh, I think, major news uh, media and is just now dribbling into the consciousnesses of most uh non-Asian Americans, because I'm sure in the Asian American community, this has been obviously something not only that they are very aware of, but that is uh, changing their sense of security and uh, safety and uh, position in uh, America. Uh, not that the Asian American community is un, uh, unscathed by American racism. We always think when we think of American racism as racism against uh, black people, but it's it's much more liberal than that. It's all encompassing. <laughs> it is often against anyone who is not identifiable as a white heterosexual Christian, I would say. Um, and I, it occurred to me, you know, a lot of Asian Americans are descendants of people who came to this country, not in slave ships, 
but who came here with the same intention by those who lured them here, and that was to use them for their labor, to work them hard, and then to discard them. Asian Americans were initially brought to this country as uh, cheap labor, right? And then if they decided to stay in the country, uh, they were treated to uh, the kind of discriminatory laws that uh, we Americans are uh, renowned for inventing, so much so that it is now well known that uh, Adolf Hitler and his ilk studied American legislation, Jim Crow legislation, or just regular, I, I, yeah, I guess it would be generally under that rubric, but not necessarily, seeing how through legal processes, America kept non-whites down. So the other thing that I've thought of, obviously, and I'm not alone, that this spike in um, anti-Asian cattle uh, make violence, Jesus, God, a mind is a terrible thing to waste away, I'll tell you that, just so um, the spike, I guess, if it's detailed, you see it rising along with COVID-19. So as soon as the virus makes its way to our shores, and w the misfortune of that is, well, we all lived, but the mitigating, not mitigating, quite the opposite of, God, what is, I'm sorry, I don't mean to scream at you for the, for my head. I, I will say this. I, there's stuff going on in my, my life right now that I, I'm exceedingly distracted. And um, I'm going to blame that and not my advancing age. So f please forgive me. I'm, I'm mightily trying to focus here. Um, but it came, unfortunately, as a result of the fact that while the pandemic uh, came to our shores, uh, a man named Donald Trump was uh, the president of the United States and immediately saw it as uh, just another gift to him to stoke division and hate and uh, ugly prejudice. So he never called it COVID-19. He called it the China virus. And we heard Kung flu, right? So this that kind of repetition to, I guess, the, the people whose brains never worked um, is, is enough to begin harassment of anyone they see who looks to be Asian. And so we've heard recently, and it's growing, It's it's it, which is weird because I, I, 
why would it continue to grow when we don't have the constant? Well, I guess we do because we have Fox News and all the other haters continuing the China virus and Kung flu and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just don't know. But to see old Asian women knocked to the streets, bloodied, left unconscious, to see, I mean, there have been, there've been deaths. There's been uh, violence against uh, Asian American uh, shop owners. And it's just, it's unbelievable. Not. And we don't know yet if this killing, this massacre uh, in Atlanta is, is linked to that. It could, it could be. Uh, and then again, it might not be, but that remains to be seen. Anyway, it brings up something that I, I have been remiss in not talking about, and that is this, this spike in uh, violence toward Asian Americans. It's just amazing, isn't it, how so many people live with so much hate in their hearts. And that hate generally uh, very much married to fear, which they wouldn't acknowledge. Uh, fear of the other, fear of someone who looks different. And then stop and ask yourself, how many, how many uh, of you, when you see an Asian American, um, assume that they're not Americans, that they're students from here, you know, that's studying here. I, I think Americans, white America, has a real problem <laughs> seeing people who don't look like white America as Americans, and a lot of a lot of white America, uh, and many of whom would not say that they are prejudiced. It's just not what the picture in their head is. And the picture in their head comes from school books that that they that were used in their schools, comes from perhaps their uh, neighborhoods where everybody else is white, comes from, you know, their experience. So, I don't know. I I love the PBS show Finding Your Roots with uh, who is it Henry Louis Gates, um, where they explore uh, through genealogy and also uh, genetics uh, where. Where a celebrity, they're always doing it for people that are known, um, where celebrities' ancestors came from, and they trace back. And it's, it's all, this stuff always fascinates me. But um, last night, I, I discovered uh, something that I've seen more than once. When, when the show is doing the uh, genealogy, of an African-American person, a black person, 
um, as it did last night, there, there is often a great deal of uh, astonishment on the part of the black American at how much white is in them. But of course, most black Americans know that there's white in them because of slavery and the fact that black women were were fair game. But for, I think her name, Anna DuVernay, DuVernay, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, the, uh, the director and uh, actress, I believe, she turns out, as they uncovered her past, <laughs> to actually be on one side a descendant of a um, a white uh, slave owner. But that too would be true of so many black Americans, right? Because the way they got the white in their blood is because the owner could take whatever woman he wanted. So it, it is particularly sort of awful kind of reality for black Americans, I would think, I wouldn't like it, to think that you carry the blood and the genetics of the very people who enslaved your ancestors. And um, at the end of the show, they, they show the uh, results of the essentially like 23andMe uh, information of what, what constitutes you. How black are you? What percentage? How white are you? And for somebody like Anna DuVernay, this was a frightening thing because she was clearly terrified that she would find out that technically she was not even half black. And then they unveiled the results and she was like 54% black, African, 54% African. And the absolute unabashed relief and joy on her face. Um, I found so wonderful because it shows what I know is that black Americans don't envy white Americans at all. I think they quite the opposite. And they are so proud and understandably proud of their blackness that the idea of, you know, that identity which informs them 
uh, being in any way sullied by too much white. I completely get it, and I love it, and I am envious. And I think a lot of white America is envious of what they see as clear black pride. The pride of real survivors. And then I guess there's other white Americans who see that as a threat. It makes me very happy. Uh, I I feel, yes, I am a bit disjointed today. I'm sorry, you'll have to forgive me. Uh, Speaking of Africa, I just want to say one thing. Um, There have been a lot of uh, knitted brows and uh, confusion uh, among epidemiologists and others during the pandemic who have said, you know, we expected when this thing hit Africa, it was going to just race through that continent because, I mean, it's not exactly known for its healthcare facility and uh, in many cases, not particularly functional government that's going to be able to get uh, help to people, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, Africa has seen generally the lowest case rate, the lowest case deaths, from COVID-19 of any continent, Africa. So while the richest countries, Europe and the United States reeled and saw so many dead per 100,000, Africa did not. The virus doesn't give a darn where you're standing. It just looks for human beings. So what the hell would be the reason why Africa has escaped so much of the death that this pandemic has brought to the world? And you know what the answer is? They think. Africans, generally speaking, are not obese. That's it. And when you look at who the dead are in this country, overwhelming percentage are overweight and or obese. With the resulting health issues, diabetes, heart issues, that kind of thing. So how amazing is that, that one would assume we in the, uh, you know, industrialized, wealthy world would have had an easier go of this. We always assume and expect and ignore the fact that poor nations and poor people suffer more. But that has not been the case.
Okay. I got two little things here from states to our south. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so stuck in the south right now, but I am. And um, what's going on in Georgia, which is despicable. Georgia, God bless Georgia for sending those two, two Democratic senators uh, and saving uh, the democracy a little bit more uh, and giving Joe Biden um, a chance to actually uh, do something um, and And so, of course, now the Georgian legislature, as you know, is just busily passing, carving, you know, just carving all these exemptions to their uh, voting laws, taking away polls. May I, we've talked about this, okay? All of this disgustingness. A clear, just clear, very public uh intent to deprive black georgians of their franchise it's it's jim crow 2021 there ain't no difference and so in that regard you have to think that the southern states especially have been um really well well versed in uh, practically geniuses now at knowing how to suppress the votes of black people. And what happened, of course, is that black people voted in overwhelming numbers and exactly what white Republicans in the South feared, uh, it resulted in a victory for Joe Biden and two Democrats in the Senate. And they do not want to see that happen again. So rather than change maybe the way they approach uh, the policies and the, the, the people they supposedly represent, they decided to, no, let's keep those people from voting because that's the only way Republicans do win. And obviously there's an effort that is going to be going on in at the federal level uh, to pass legislation that would uh, make a lot of these kinds of laws simply illegal. Because to my mind, they're almost universally unconstitutional. That would not be necessarily what the Roberts Trump Pact court would decide. So again, because this has happened in recent history, it's corporate America that in the absence of government doing the right thing, that corporate America is standing up. And so Coca-Cola, which is a mighty or a corporation based in Atlanta, Georgia, has uh, come out and has said that they find these laws repugnant and, you know, it has shown in the past that there are things that it can do. Home Depot also 
has come out. Um, so I wanted to note that it, it's interesting that when so much of our government, the very institution that is supposed to care for the people, when they abdicate, which the Republican Party has largely done, then a vacuum is created. And um, and corporate America, not because it's got a big heart, but corporate America because it, it knows what kind of an environment it wants to function in because it then helps it to make more money. It knows this kind of stuff is detrimental to their own success. So you have that. You have uh, another wonderful southern state of Alabama finally deciding after, I guess, what was it, a 30-year ban. There was a law passed. God, these, these legislators in these states, and I will include Pennsylvania in that, Republican legislators just cannot find more absurd things to waste their time uh, passing legislation about and uh, arguing about and taking our time and our money because we're paying them to come up with this nonsense. So in Alabama, for almost 30 years, it has been forbidden to teach yoga in the public schools. You could not. And you know why? Come on. You know why? It ain't Christian. No, it ain't Christian. You say weird words in it like yoga. You say things like, uh, you know, what is that? Namaste? Namaste? What is that? Stuff. But it ain't American. And so it was forbidden. Now, <coughs> In a sign of some progress, the Alabama House of Representatives uh, pretty overwhelmingly uh, decided to vote to uh, rescind that that uh, that ban. Um, <laughs> I, it was the Republicans in the thrall of their Christian uh, base that had decided that yoga was a clear and present danger to their way of life. As I said, hate slash fear. There is a frightening uh, percentage of Americans who live their lives in a constant state of fear, which is then whipped up by capitalists with money to make, like Rupert Murdoch, Rush Limbaugh, all that kind of folk, because they stoke that fear and create hate. Hate creates violence, and this is how we get where we get. But so 
you look at uh, this changing, slow changing going on in the South. Um, Georgia, Georgia saved us. They got two Democratic senators on top of it. One's a black guy and one's a Jew. Jeez. <clears throat> Can't say that about uh, our state. So there are some, and one in particular who's written a book about it, uh, happens to be a New York Times columnist, Charles Blow, who has written a book saying that he thinks black Americans should flex their political muscle. And the way you flex political muscle in this country by virtue of our crazy system of uh, gerrymandering and you know two senators per two senators per state, no matter what the population, and all these crazy rules we we have that keeps majority uh, majorities from actually having the power that one would expect that they do, he suggests that for black people to have the political strength that they clearly do, they should reverse the great migration. The great migration, of course, mostly coming at the end of the 19th century and because of Jim Crow, when Southern blacks saw that emancipation wasn't all it was cracked up to be, decided that they would go north because there were jobs there for them. <clears throat> and so they came. They came to the cities like Pittsburgh that had industry and uh, what they found, of course, <laughs> is uh, that America was pretty much America anywhere you went. That's what they found. And he argues that what should be done is that Black America should go back to where they came from. Go back to the South, where their American roots are. And by their muscle, their political muscle, reclaim that part of our nation that they built. Take it back. Reverse migrate to the South and then collectively dismantle white supremacy by using that ancestral homeland, the South, for their political base. Now, this is already happening quite a bit. Black Pittsburgh isn't growing much. Black Pittsburgh is one of the worst places a black person could be in this country. 
And a lot of black Pittsburgh has moved south. Charles Blow himself moved south. He went back to Atlanta. And so Georgia flipping in this last election is just a little hint at what black Americans voting, I mean, obviously organizing and voting comes in here. Should perhaps think about doing. Because he argues that the path to lasting black power is clearly through the vote. And you do that by concentration There could be a contiguous band of black voters across Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, and it would absolutely blow up America's political calculus and definitely hugely increase black power in American politics. That's his argument. And I find it pretty compelling. Of course, no one's asking me to move, but I find it compelling. It's not like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is a great place to be if you're black, right? I mean, we got we got the numbers to show that. Oh my God! Now Sally's writing us. She must have stopped squawking at Kit about dogs being wolves. Hi, Sal. She says, but a large portion of deaths in this country are older African Americans who are obese. Yeah, their mistake was, yeah, being in this country, mostly because of food deserts and a dearth of grocery stores with healthy food options. Yeah, right. Obesity kills. But our entire nation is obese. And she says, I think part of Ava DuVernay's fear was that so much of her heritage was white through rape, because that's how that happened. Although they did uncover in hers that uh, one of her black there was a marriage. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. What do I know? I get so mixed up watching this stuff. I can't follow it. Um, Sally, how could you were listening to the show while you and Kit were doing that? Anyway, never mind. Um, what else did I have? What else did I have? Uh, oh, God, I have to. No, wait, let's do this while we're thinking of white people. At least I am. Oh, bit of the day. Aruka Zuma. I'm looking at a picture of him. God bless this poor guy. He is the last of his kind. He is literally the last person 
of his indigenous Brazilian tribe. And now he is no more. He comes from an Amazon tribe that in the 18th century, it was, it was thought to have as many as 15,000 uh, population and had a huge tract of Amazonian uh, forest to call their own, which of course, little by little and year after year, because of white people looking for money and riches, rubber cappers, miners, loggers, just started killing them. They massacred them. They burned them out. An estimated 100 people of those 15,000 were all that was left of that tribe by 1943. And then in 1964, there was a final massacre. Imagine that, 100 people standing in the way of riches for white folks. So they went off, they went out and killed the rest of the tribe, only six people managed to survive, and Aruka Zuma was one. And then in 1999, his brother-in-law died, and he was the only one, the last one standing. And now COVID has taken him. We wiped out an entire people. We've done that many times before. Doesn't make it much into our history books because, you know, it's hard to feel proud. Hard to feel, you know, land of the free and the home of the brave starts sticking in your throat. Because he was the last, he was often sought out by media. You know, like I saw a picture the other day of the last, and I it was a strange-looking animal, and it turns out that it's it's the picture taken like in the early 20th century, and it was in captivity, but the last of its kind, and it was a, and it said there it was, the last of its kind, and there he, and I'm looking at him like he's stuck behind bars in a zoo. Look at this. Here's what extinction looks like. And here's what he said in an interview five years ago. These days I feel alone. And I think a lot about back when there were many before the rubber tappers and the prospectors came to kill us. Back then we were happy. And now there is only me.
I understand why there are those who don't think we should know our history when it's so unhappy. And it's, and so responsible for so much horror. When we paint ourselves as this incredible success story, but we don't talk about the the destruction of humanity and of animals and of environment that that success often was and still is based on. Why? I mean, why it's like sort of built into us that we shouldn't tell the truth. Because if we tell the truth, then everything becomes so complicated, so complex, well, you might not be able to, I don't know, can you have national pride? I don't know. But I think living a lie and mandating the living of a lie is just, more repellent and actually more indication that we are not exceptional at all. God, there are all these stories about women behaving badly. This is why, you know, when people say in regard to sexual harassment and all that stuff, you have to believe the woman, always believe the woman. And I say, anytime anybody says anything that much of a blanket statement, women tell the truth, men lie. Bullshit, right? Excuse me. Well, here's a woman. Actually, there was the one in Pennsylvania that we found out about the other day, the woman uh, who, I guess unbeknownst to her daughter, had... um, sent pictures around, deep faked pictures showing her daughter's uh, fellow cheer squad members in various, uh, well, not particularly flattering ways like doing drugs and half naked and stuff like that. (laughs) Excuse me. And all this was done in an anonymous effort to ensure that her daughter, of course, would, I don't know, uh, be on the cheer squad again. I don't know. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And and the mother apparently even sent things to some of these other girls saying, you should kill yourself. What? All, all, of course, because she loved her daughter so much. Well, of course, she's in big trouble. And as far as I know, her daughter, who didn't know about it, is probably not exactly persona grata in school. And then we find out about this other mother, and this time in cahoots with the daughter, who who cooked the books, who literally stole votes 
to get her daughter named homecoming queen. I mean, first of all, think of Think of how inconsequential such a thing is. They're both, the mother was arrested and put in jail. She got herself bailed out. The daughter is now in juvenile detention and has been expelled from school. The mother lost her job. She was an assistant principal at the school, which gave her access to the uh the computer system in which the votes were cast. And so she and her daughter busily were casting all the votes for the daughter who was crowned, yes, homecoming queen. Um, Can you imagine the smallness of mind and character and everything that would make people, these two mothers, these think that this was important and so important that, that we're going to steal. We're going to teach our children how you get ahead. Can you imagine? I just I don't understand human beings. I really don't. I don't even. I, I can't. I can't connect. Okay, I've avoided it, and I'm going to semi-avoid it now, the filibuster, okay? I just want to say what makes me have to talk about it now is apparently Mitch McConnell has promised that if the Democrats mess with the filibuster rule, he will respond with a scorched earth policy. And he will grind the Senate to a standstill and derail Biden's agenda. <laughs> now, how is that a threat? That's what he's been doing. I mean, that's bringing things to a standstill. And scorched earth response to almost anything is what Mitch McConnell always does. So him standing there and saying, that's what's going to happen is like, uh, yeah, so? Nothing new. Nothing new here. The filibuster is just a rule. And it was not a rule when the Constitution was written. It was a rule that at some point came up. It's a rule that has been altered in the past. And it is a rule that can be altered again, and apparently is going to have to be if, first of all, voting rights are going to be given a chance to be protected. I say chance because that Robert Supreme Court looms. Um, Joe Biden was elected to do something. Americans want something to get done for a change, Mitch. And the filibuster is the main thing that is keeping that from happening. We don't elect people so they go there and twiddle their thumbs because you're having some kind of a snit fit. The American people voting for Democrats are saying they want the government 
to do what government does. They want government to work again, to actually go to work again, and then get something done. So all kinds of legislation that America approves of and has approved of never has made it because of the filibuster, which allows a minority to scuttle things. I, to me, it's insane. The DREAM Act, for instance, which is, would have you know, created a path to citizenship for all of these uh, kids that were brought here by their parents, know nothing but America, grew up here, went to school here, and are told they're vulnerable to deportation. The DREAM Act, which most Americans supported, never got out of the Senate. And it wouldn't again today. So if we are going to use this small window, because I'm thinking of 22 with the midterm elections, where we don't know what will happen, especially if all these Republican legislatures do what, of course, they're going to do, which is make it harder for Democrats to vote. We got to get rid of this filibuster or somehow alter it so that we can get these voting rights uh, measures through <clears throat> so that we can get uh, to perhaps gun legislation so we can get to a true public works and infrastructure, uh, you know, legislation so we can get something done. And McConnell is a master at knowing all of these rules. That's why he's cleaned, it seems to me, the Democrats' clock constantly. He uses every little rule. Oh, look at this from 1841. Barely gets noticed, but we could take this. And, and so that's what he does. And that's what he warned about yesterday. He said, if Democrats move to in any way mess with his filibuster, that he will make it virtually impossible for anything to proceed in the Senate. And then he'll be able to do that with, I object to the, you can, uh, the fact is the Senate operates under such absurd rules and that, you know, a single Senator can stop everything a single senator can, well, you saw the other day when, who was it? A single senator said, we aren't going to vote on um, this COVID bill, this stimulus bill, without hearing it. So the poor clerk was told that she had to read the bill out loud to the Senate none of whom, of course, were there, none of whom were listening. It took over 12 hours. It was just a way to throw, right? Throw the process into a total stall. 
So what they often do, and you saw it if you were watching the impeachment, what they often do uh, in order to move ahead is someone stands up and says, I, uh, I call for a unanimous, excuse me, unanimous consent. Um, and the whole Senate agrees. And th what they're doing when they do that is they're getting rid of the opportunity for anybody to do anything like, will the clerk read this 5,000 page bill out loud? Um, what McConnell's saying is, we're gonna use that. So when Schumer says, I ask for unanimous consent, he ain't gonna get it. So that nothing will be able to get done Now, I say, call, go ahead, go ahead. They got to do what they got to do. The American people at some point see what's happening. You know, they don't know from filibuster, but they will at some point know if some piece of legislation that they really want, that will provide them jobs, that will provide them relief in some way, is being held up by a bunch of Republicans simply refusing to do the job that they get paid good money for out of our pockets. With McConnell, it's not a bluff. He'll do it. But it doesn't mean we stand down. We'll see. It's going to be something. We don't have a lot of time. We have a year and a half. That's it. <coughs> Excuse me. That's it. And I have one more thing here, which I found depressing and or hysterically funny. So as you know, the Boy Scouts of America are um, have to raise $300 million <laughs> to settle sexual abuse lawsuits. And chances are they're going to have to raise even more than that, 300 mil. Now, the Boy Scouts are taking it on the chin so much, they've actually lost their name. So now it's just the Scouts, I believe, because girls, they've let girls in. So the Boy Scouts don't exist anymore. Okay, but they're having to uh, pay for all the sexual assault that went on while they were so busy keeping gay people out. Right? What do you mean? You mean we had all these heterosexuals in here and we and they, they were doing that to what? To the boys? Huh? So the riot is, is they have a collection. The Boy Scouts own a lot of Norman Rockwell paintings. The Norman Rockwell, ladies and gentlemen, they have paintings called On My Honor. And it's, you know, like Boy Scouts pledging and another one called The Right Way. So they're selling off all of this BS Americana Rockwell stuff so they can pay for the fact that in their care, untold numbers of boys were sexually traumatized. 
on my honor. Indeed. I just had to get that in because there's something funny, not quite about it. Okay, thanks for uh, being there and uh, apologies for my um, my my head today. Um, I do have an excuse, but I'm not going to play uh, that card. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, but uh, I'll I'll try to be in a better form tomorrow. Enjoy this day. It looks fantastic. Be safe. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.